Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, we have Kelsey Kinney, who is a registered dietitian specializing in digestive health. She runs a virtual private practice and is the creator of Build Your Biome program and the founder of Gut Power Drinks, which is in front of me along with a myriad of prebiotic products because today we're talking all about prebiotics and Kelsey really digs into, is this company good, bad, whatever. So she is really going to school us on the big, not really mystery of prebiotics, but the underserved, um, the underserved area of prebiotics. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you so much, Krista. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so let's talk about you a little bit. Tell me about where you came from and how you got a major interest sparked in prebiotics. Was there some things that kind of built up and you were like, hey, you know, we need to pay way more attention to this because I feel like you're sort of prebiotics um, unpaid mascot sometimes. <laughs> I I do feel that like that's my yeah I'm screaming the the benefits of prebiotics a lot because I feel like they don't get the the screen time they deserve um but yeah I mean I so early on in my career like when I was in uh college studying dietetics I got really interested in just the whole world of digestive health and and specifically the microbiome um I had a professor for example who was doing research on glutamine and leaky gut and so that kind of like sparked it for me I think I just got super interested and so I was doing a lot of research on my own at that time just you know digging into uh PubMed Google Scholar all that fun stuff because there wasn't a lot of people in the the blogosphere, I guess I would say, writing about those topics at that point. Um, And so I was doing a lot of research on my own and then starting my own practice. Of course, I was starting to implement a lot of that. And um, after I got my RD, I did my master's at uh, the University of Western States in functional medicine and human nutrition. And one of my professors there, uh, Dr. Jason Halrelak, was like super into prebiotics. 
products. And he kind of really started, you know, I of course knew about them and was using them to some degree in my practice, but he just had this passion for it that really sparked a passion for them in myself. And so ever since then, I've kind of, my, my wheelhouse has really been the microbiome, probiotics and prebiotics, and just making sure that people are educated on all of those things, because there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of bad information about all of those topics out there right now because it's such sort of a a big thing at the moment. Um, so I consider it my duty as a dietitian who's into this stuff to just educate people on choosing the right products for what you want um, to get out of them because it really makes a difference between, you know, what probiotic strain you're considering, for example, or what prebiotic you're choosing as to what it's actually going to do for you. Oh, you just gave me another question. But let's talk about, first of all, <laughs> I when I was writing kind of some of my questions down for this, you can tell prebiotics are underserved because of my autocorrect. Like I cannot spell prebiotics right? without having to go back and edit it a billion times so I don't accidentally put probiotics because it changes the context. It's not the same at all. So tell us, I right. think what's important, I was telling you off air, I actually share, Kelsey's got a really great article about prebiotics and kind of prebiotics 101. And I share it with every client when we start to initiate prebiotics along the process of work because everyone can learn something from it. No one knows everything about prebiotics. I will just tell you that. So if you think this, you know, is too basic for you, I am here to tell you I, I do not believe that's the case. So talk to us about what prebiotics are and their role in the microbiome. So give us the 101 quickly. Sure. Um, so prebiotics differ from probiotics in that they are, they're, they're not a live bacteria. A probiotic is a live bacteria that you are consuming um, that gives us a health benefit, right? And a prebiotic is something that is basic, basically anything that is non-digestible that affects the the host or the human um, in a beneficial way. So that sounds super vague, um, but but it basically means that anything you consume that helps your beneficial um, bacteria colonies in the microbiome to thrive uh, is something that would be considered a prebiotic. Does that make sense? It does. So give us some examples of this. Sure. So, um, I mean, you can get prebiotics from your food. So there's definitely things, um, you know, high prebiotic foods out there like chicory root, for example, or apples, asparagus. Um, there's a lot of things that naturally contain prebiotics. But when we're talking supplements, um, we start to get into the more kind of technical names. So for example, inulin is probably the one that I'd say the the most people are familiar with, you may have heard of that. Um, you might see it in supplements, you might see it in even like bars or things like that where they want some kind of natural sweetness and an extra health benefit. You might see inulin uh, as an example of a prebiotic. But there's also things like FOS, which stands for fructo-oligosaccharides, GOS, which is galacto-oligosaccharides, and then sun fiber um, or partially hydrolyzed guar gum is another example. Those are kind of like my, my go-tos, I would say, in terms of prebiotics. Okay. So inulin, which we do see in bars a lot, does that also count toward the fiber? Was that also why we see that on the, because prebiotics could be yep. fibers, right? Like fibers are prebiotics. That's what Exactly. Okay. Yep. So we see that there because it may contribute to the fiber um, content. I think I, that's how I feel. I feel like you always see it on fiber stuff. Anything that's like a fiber yes. bar, <laughs> not to name any names here. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the benefits of prebiotics. For me, I call I love analogies. So I call prebiotics grass seeds. <laughs> 
Um, they yeah, kind of help, help things kind of grow. They like the whole microbiome gets analogies from me about lawn care um, and Amazon <laughs> rainforest. And so it's always grassed to me. I don't know if you use something to try to hammer this home. If so, please interject it. Um, but let's talk about let's dig into this a little bit. Um, and before I even go on, you were mentioning some food based sources like chicory, apples and asparagus. Does cooking these vegetables affect the prebiotic content? You know, that's a good question. And I, I actually don't know off the top of my head how much it affects it, um, mm-hmm. if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good question. But a lot of them, you know, they're things that typically you would be eating raw anyway, um, for the most part. Um, so, but for example, like I'm just thinking from a supplement perspective, like sun fiber, you know, I put, we put that in hot stuff and it doesn't affect it. So I would think not too much. Uh, it's not going to have too much of an effect if you're cooking it. Um, but that is a good question, actually. Well, and I might depend. It depends on the prebiotic itself, too. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing is here is I think we don't know everything about prebiotics sometimes as well. Like I, th- I think I'm going to have some other questions that may not have answers as well. And that's, you know, I was just at a microbiome conference and I was literally asking all the practitioners in my little study circle, like, how do you like to do this? Because it's supposed to do this, but this is how we see it present. And so we'll talk about that right. in a minute. But chicory root, um, you know, that's not necessarily like everyday terminology necessarily. Where do you yeah. find chicory root? So sometimes you can actually find that in like coffee mixes, uh, for example, um, it, it adds sort of a, a nice um, flavor to coffee. So some mixes will incorporate chicory root into coffee. So it's something you would seep um, kind of like you would coffee or make coffee normally like that. Um, you can also find that often in coffee replacement blends. Um, so herbal kind of things that aim to mimic the taste of coffee, but that are not coffee. So they maybe don't contain caffeine, for example, if that's something you're trying to avoid. Um, Sometimes you'll also see that in bars and things like that. Again, just uh, as prebiotics become more popular and fiber becomes more popular, that's another way that companies are seeming to add that in a more kind of natural sounding way. You know, it's just a root. It's not like they are um, processing it in any specific way to like make it more um, uh, essentially concentrated like a lot of other uh, prebiotic supplements do. So you'll you'll see that in um, bars or food products often as just a way to increase fiber or uh, prebiotic content. Okay. Yeah, that's the only place I really see it too is like in dandelion tea that's meant to taste like coffee. I mean, I don't really see it very right. commonly. Um, so let's talk about prebiotics. Like Stepping back again, what do we need these for? Do we even need prebiotic? Like, what's the argument for prebiotics versus can't you just take a probiotic or whatever? Like, why do we need to pay much more homage to prebiotics? What are they doing for gut health and beyond, like maybe blood sugar or other things? Yeah, great question. Um, So what we know about probiotics is essentially that when you take them, they kind of only stick around in the gut for maybe two weeks. Um, They sort of pass through. And of course, they're really beneficial as they pass through. And if you're taking them consistently, then you're sort of always having um, them in your gut. So that's going to do, you know, provide a lot of benefits in and of itself as well. But what that doesn't tell us is that when it's when a probiotic is colonizing the gut it's it's doing so short term it's not it's not really changing anything long term whereas prebiotics have much more potential to do that because essentially if you think about it they are acting as food for the good bacteria in your gut so if you are providing 
food to those cultures on a regular basis, they're going to thrive, they're going to grow, they're going to, you know, as you were talking about with your grass analogy, like you're going to have a beautiful looking lawn, you know? Um, so it really helps to just keep that, that balance of good and bad bacteria looking really good and has the potential to kind of maintain that benefit for much longer than let's say taking a probiotic does. So that's one thing for me that really sparked my interest in them in the first place because it seemed like why the heck are we putting so much emphasis on probiotics when they are kind of a short-term help to the gut and prebiotics to me seem like they can be a little bit of a longer-term solution here. So the reason I use prebiotics and I, I make sure, you know, at least as many clients as I'm working with that can tolerate them, incorporate them into their routine is because it's essentially just feeding that lawn, feeding that gut garden, right? And making sure that it has everything that it needs to to thrive and to be balanced appropriately. Um, so it helps to push out bad bacteria as do probiotics to be fair, but it, I see it more as a long-term thing, whereas probiotics I view as short-term. So if we don't take prebiotics, what's the flip side of that? Then we just have um, these transient passerbys, uh, like a, somebody blowing by, like that's like, oh, it's like turf grass. Um, right. That, like if you don't, it's a little more finicky, right? It's a little, it takes a little bit much to, to stick, right? Exactly. And the other thing to consider when you're not really providing prebiotics and fiber and those kinds of things to your gut microbiome on a regular basis is that it leaves you with oftentimes uh, leaves you with lower counts of healthy bacteria. So those those colonies kind of wane when they don't get food, which makes sense. Obviously, we're not providing them what they need to thrive. And that in and of itself can be really detrimental because when, and I like to talk about the microbiome as a parking lot um, where there's kind of only so many spaces in the parking lot and really you want to have a balance between good and bad that are taking up those, those parking spaces. So if you imagine that if you're not providing the food that, that your good bacteria need to thrive, they start to kind of leave the parking lot, right? And then that gives the bad bacteria more of an opportunity to take over more of those parking spaces. And so that balance becomes imbalance and we get what's called dysbiosis, which is just, you know, the technical term for uh, microbiome imbalance, which we know can lead to a lot of other health conditions or just um, kind of perpetuates other health conditions. So that balance is really, really important. And to be able to provide prebiotics or that food for good gut bacteria, that helps us to maintain a healthy balance in that parking lot of the gut microbiome. Okay, so we're talking about like good cars and bad cars in the parking lot. Where do the bad cars come from? Well, they can come from a lot of different places. And, and some, of, some of it we don't totally know. You know, as you were mentioning before, there's a lot about the gut microbiome that we, we don't know at this point. Um, but there are things, for example, uh, that affect kind of that balance right from the beginning of our lives. For example, if you were uh, delivered via C-section, you kind of, you, you start off, you know, with the deck stacked against you, basically, in terms of good and bad bacteria. Um, and then things like... Uh, consuming a really heavily processed diet um, that's full of, you know, really simple carbohydrates can 
tend to have a, a negative impact on the microbiome. Or there's even research, and I'm a little bit torn on it, um, and I have an article on my blog about it, but a, a high-fat diet um, can be potentially detri detrimental uh, to the balance of good and bad bacteria as well. So there's a lot of dietary lifestyle factors that um, can play a role in kind of allowing these bad bacteria to overgrow. But in and of themselves, you know, we we can kind of consider them more commensal. Like they don't really cause us much problem unless they start to overgrow. And that's when we get into trouble. But then you can also, you know, travel, you pick up a parasite. So that would be another example of a bad bacteria that um, kind of has the potential to be pathogenic, uh, provided that it it gets into your system and starts to cause problems. You mentioned a term that I don't think is layman. And even though people that listen to this podcast are really smart, I want to mention that commensal would be like the normal residence of the parking lot, essentially. Like here's exactly. what we think of exactly. the normal people. Okay. So let's go back to some of that health benefit. Like what's it look like when you add prebiotics into your clients' lives um, in terms of gut health, blood sugar, maybe other symptoms you don't even realize that are related? Like, do you have some examples of what, where you've added prebiotics and how, what the impact of that has been? Yeah. So, I mean, I work a lot in digestive health. That's kind of my main area where I work with clients. So the main benefit I'm seeing when I'm incorporating prebiotics into my clients' lives is an improvement in digestive symptoms. So things like stool quality, stool frequency, um, bloating, gas, which sounds ironic because a lot of uh, a lot of people can can react poorly to prebiotics actually and in, in that they get more gas uh, more bloating um, but that I mean, we can maybe talk about this in a second but that just um, it can depend from person to person it can depend on the type of probiotic that you choose so there's a lot of nuance within choosing a prebiotic that can help you to avoid those kinds of symptoms too but what I'm seeing on the whole at least in my practice is an overall improvement in um, digestive symptoms. And that actually has been really interesting to see over time in terms of me using prebiotics with my clients in practice, because I used to be like really gung ho about um, antimicrobials and, you know, would kind of use them basically in all cases. And these days, um, now I'm really taking more of a look at the, at the nuance in in like my GI map uh, results, for example. So stool testing and kind of really taking a look at what their good and bad bacteria looks like. And I recently had a client um, who we we didn't see a ton of overgrowth of bad bacteria. There was definitely some, um, but it wasn't crazy. But she had really, really low counts of uh, good beneficial bacteria in her gut. And so instead of kind of focusing on the, the killing phase, you know, throwing a bunch of antimicrobials at her, we focused more on prebiotics and probiotics and helping to sort of um, rebalance that parking lot. And she improved really rapidly, is feeling awesome, and didn't have to go through, um, you know, the antimicrobial protocol, which can be kind of a pain in the butt for a lot of people. So um, I've just started to kind of 
move more in that direction. And of course, it totally depends on the client. Sometimes they really do need the antimicrobials to, to kind of get rid of bad bacteria. But I think a lot of practitioners are still kind of stuck in that mindset of kill, kill, kill in, when it comes to the microbiome versus cultivating a well-balanced microbiome. Mm-hmm. Well, this is why it's nice to have a baseline from the stool test because you don't necessarily know. Someone's symptoms seem generally dysbiotic, but there is overgrowth dysbiosis and insufficiency dysbiosis. So you're just discussing that, you know, there wasn't very many good cars in the parking lot, but that was maybe a more pressing need than the bad cars that were there. You know, sometimes there's just not really like there's just really no one home, um, essentially. And so you can't really get work done when there's no one there. Like no one showed up for work. Like no one is in the parking lot. So it makes sense that that's the priority. Like let's put some people to work before we um, before we see like to to improve the balance overall. Because if we just bring people to work and put their cars in the parking lot, maybe that's all you need. Um, so I would agree with that for sure. And especially with kids, um, I think there can be a lot of yeah. like you said nuances. And I think there's a lot of gray area, kind of knowing what people's symptoms are and then what's beneath the surface. So like, what do we really think? Because sometimes, uh, and I'm sure we could talk about this for a while, and we won't. But um, sometimes you'll see those undergrowth s- patterns, but they really do have. So I'll, like start and really improve, so bring some people to work first and then kind of see where they're at because sometimes there's things hiding <laughs> hiding on the back side so maybe yes, maybe there totally. is a maybe there's not a lot of cars in the front parking lot um because they're like hiding like there's more bad ones hiding in the back parking lot and they I don't know so anyway I'm, I'm going I'm not making sense <laughs> with my analogies here but let's talk about dysbiosis in general because um when I use the word dysbiosis, even with people I'm working with, like at the very beginning, sometimes they're like, what is that again? <laughs> that is an imbalance of bacteria, yeah. which I feel like is more pervasive and prevalent. That's like, I feel like that's the most prevalent problem across everything. Like, I feel like that's a huge so issue. Um, and I, we might be ba- biased, right? So you look at a lot of stool tests and you're like, oh, I think like disp or imbalances are just like the the biggest issue of all but that's the big deal so let's talk about what's trendy not trendy here so we know that there's this term out there SIBO small intestinal bacteria overgrowth it's really trendy people kind of know what it is now a little bit um I always mm-hmm. kind of refer more to large bacteria bowel dysbiosis we don't even have to really get too specific about that if we don't want to I think it's really important to go over large bowel dysbiosis what I want to say here what I want to ask you is what about prebiotics early on so you just gave an example where you brought more cars to work right so you you improve things and it really helped but what if there's a lot of overgrowth and people don't really respond like do you think that that's the time for prebiotics when there's a lot of overgrowth do you think people respond well to that let's talk about some times where people don't respond well to prebiotics perhaps yeah i mean so it happens fairly often where somebody takes a prebiotic and like i was saying before they maybe get more gas more bloating um than they started with and and for many people those may have been the symptoms that they kind of started with and so to get more of that feels terrible not Mm. great not what they're looking for um and it's somewhat common because what what generally what prebiotics are doing is when they're kind of feeding the the good gut bacteria, those gut bacteria will produce gas as a result of that kind of reaction, basically. And so you can imagine that if you're producing more gas in the large intestine, that's going to cause some bloating, can cause some gas, can even cause like some reflux for people. Um, So there are definitely side effects to prebiotics. um, And so that can make it almost a catch-22 because the people that have like this severe imbalance um, could really benefit from prebiotics, but they can't tolerate them. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something I've run into quite a bit, but I think it, um, it 
honestly comes down to the specific person and the specific prebiotic that we choose. So since um, doing a lot of research on prebiotics, I've discovered some that, that will tend to be better tolerated. For example, sun fiber, that partially hydrolyzed guar gum I mentioned before, that one tends to be super well tolerated. Like I can count on probably one hand, like the amount of clients that actually have, have not done well with it. Um, Goss is also one that tends to be a little bit better tolerated, whereas something like inulin, you got a high high percentage chance that somebody's going to not um, react really well to that, especially if, if they've got kind of overgrowth of bad bacteria and just like a lot of bacteria in the gut in general. Um, same thing with FOSS, also tends to be a little bit harder to deal with when there's um, significant overgrowth of bad bacteria. So what I've discovered in practice is not that we don't necessarily need to use or we don't need or want to use prebiotics in those kind of cases. It's just more that we need to choose the right prebiotic for those kinds of cases. Um, but there are definitely people who, you know, maybe they've got really severe overgrowth and just any prebiotic is not treating them well. And at that point, I think that's a good indication that, you know, things are just kind of wildly overgrowing. And if we're just at almost, we're almost adding fuel to the fire with a prebiotic sometimes. And in those cases, I find that it's really beneficial often to incorporate some antimicrobials first for a little while, maybe a few weeks, and then try prebiotics again and use something like sun fiber that tends to be a little bit better tolerated when we do add them back in and hopefully they'll tolerate it at that point. Why is sun fiber and GOS better tolerated than FOS and inulin? It's a good question. Um, I think just because of the way that it's uh, processed, you know, that partially hydrolyzed bit, I think helps it to be able to be tolerated a little bit better. Um, and that's that's just what they've found in their research. Um, the company that makes Sun Fiber or, you know, other other companies make partially hydrolyzed guar gum as well. Um, and we see that in the research that just because of the structure of it, that it tends to be better tolerated in that regard than something like inulin. Um, that is like kind of longer chain, like tends to be really hard to break down, um, you know, just even from a bacterial standpoint. Um, and I think that can that can cause some problems for people. All right. So if we've got prebiotics in their food for the guys we want to keep around. So if we've got probiotics that kind of pass through, they're kind of transient, they're turf grassy. I like the car analogy because that makes more sense for transient people. And we want to feed them. So we yeah. want to put gas in the car, right? Let's just say um, we want to feed them. So that's prebiotics, let's say. Um, is there an argument that certain prebiotics are going to feed the bad ones as well? Because bacteria, bacteria. Great, great question. And this is something that I see a lot of confusion over and there's a lot of misconceptions about prebiotics in this regard. But the technical definition of a prebiotic is that it can only feed healthy, beneficial bacteria. So it it by definition cannot be feeding bad bacteria to be considered a, a prebiotic. Um, so I think that's the main difference and that's something to really consider um, because I do think there's a lot of people that think that taking prebiotics, especially in, in the SIBO world, I kind of hear this a lot, um, you know, that if they take a prebiotic, it's 
only going to make things worse and it feeds bad bacteria. Um, but with SIBO, you know, you can have an overgrowth of, of healthy bacteria just in the wrong place. So it, you know, it, it does mean prebiotics can be potentially problematic in, in a case like that because it depends on what bacteria is overgrowing. And if it's a, a beneficial bacteria, then yeah, a prebiotic could potentially um, not be the best idea. Um, although there is a lot of research to support prebiotic use in SIBO. So I'll throw that in as an aside. Um, but yeah, the, the technical definition is that it cannot feed bad bacteria. Prebiotics can only feed healthy bacteria. Mm. So I just, and, and that makes sense. I like the definition. I just wonder if we know sometimes. I just, I don't know. I mean, because when you see it yeah. present in cases, sometimes you're like, hmm, I wonder what's really going on in there. <laughs> we cannot really say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is, that's what's so kind of, I mean, in a way, I think interesting and fascinating about about this area of research, but I'm sure a lot of other people would say very frustrating as well, is that we don't know everything. We're kind of at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to microbiome research. So a lot of the stuff that we know or think we know now might change very soon. You know, mm -hmm. we're learning things every day about this stuff. So um, I try to keep up to date on it and I change things as I need to. And of course, I'm sure you know, you know, we, we just sort of pay attention to what's happening in clinical practice. And if things aren't working, then we don't do them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, it, and that's exactly right. And th sometimes things don't um, make, per make perfect sense, or they're just not straightforward, right? So like gut health isn't right. about probiotics and prebiotics alone, obviously. Um, someone said to me the other day, she was feeling a bit frustrated because she was doing a lot of sulfur-based compounds, um, which is a long story. But she's doing sulfur-based compounds, which you need to do all these natural processes, detoxification. But a lot of things that are high in sulfur compounds can feed um, not the greatest cars, like it's not the best gas for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's like, uh, something that should be really good. It doesn't work very well when there's an imbalance of bacteria. I think basically when there's an imbalance of bacteria, nothing works right. That's like the bottom line. Yeah. Nothing works <laughs> it, it right. It messes the whole system up. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your hormones don't work right. Like so many things don't really work right. Um, Okay, let's talk about some products. Um, and actually, I want to give a little bit of homage to to foods a little bit more before we talk about products for a bit. So, um, sure. you know, when you in your nice comprehensive article about prebiotics, you talk a lot about polyphenols. So let's talk about polyphenols and their role as prebiotics um, as well. Yeah, this is one of the areas I think is really cool um, because it goes to show, of course, that um, diet can play a big role in, in how our microbiome functions. And this is something that we we know, of course, but to see it play out with polyphenols, I think is really fun. Um, so polyphenols are, a lot of us know of them kind of just as like an antioxidant, if we've heard of the term polyphenols ever, which many of us probably haven't too. But essentially polyphenols are a type of an antioxidant that can act as a prebiotic. Um, so they're a little bit different than kind of our classic prebiotics, which we think of more as like types of fibers. These are more like antioxidant compounds that our gut bacteria can essentially eat. And when they eat them, they actually transform those polyphenols into other compounds that we can then absorb into the bloodstream. And they act as like inflammatory compounds or have other beneficial effects throughout the rest of our body. So they kind of help us in two, two ways, right? They feed our gut bacteria and then our gut bacteria can transform them into other uh, beneficial compounds that we can then absorb. So they're really, really cool. And of course we can get them from our diet. Um, 
quite easily, actually. So when I think about polyphenols, I think about color. Just um, the more color you consume, polyphenols are essentially what give our plant matter their, their different colors. So I try to get people to consume a wide array of colors in their diet um, and to try to, I like to say, eat 40 plus um, different types of plant foods over the course of a week. And that can sound a little ambitious, but then start to think about, okay, tea counts, your spices count, uh, even things like wine count, you know, and all those different colors. So maybe like a purple carrot versus an orange carrot, those count as two separate things. So kind of just starting to take uh, account of all the different colors of plant foods that you consume over the course of the week and trying to improve on that from week to week can go a long way towards improving your gut microbiome. And research shows us too that the different colors, those different polyphenols, uh, all kind of feed different healthy bacteria. So you end up with a much more diverse gut microbiome. And in general, what we see in the research is that the more diverse your microbiome, kind of the healthier you are. So the more that we can do to encourage a diverse microbiome, the better. And that's exactly what we can do by incorporating lots of different colors of plant foods. Mm-hmm. I like this because, and I'm going to just mention something. If you think about clients, like, I mean, I think you are the same as me as I sort of get to know people pretty well. Like, I can just remember them generally pretty well. And if I think about people who do better faster, I think it's people who have focused on food quality um, as part of their overall Mm. diet, right? So, like, it's good quality foods and high polyphenol. And so that makes a difference because some people will be kind of, like, on or kind of trying to adhere to a good diet and then they're like well but they have sort of a a broken food relationship or they haven't really they haven't really shifted their relationship to a a great foundation so therefore it's so it's super on and off it's like on a wagon off and a wagon on a wagon off and wagon right people really struggle to improve like they should long term rather than those who have like just have a great foundation and we're doing lots of tweaks that are very specific to them like those people improve better. And I think it, I think this is probably one of the many reasons, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think this is one of the possibilities. It's like we're getting a broad spectrum of really high quality foods that are doing way more than sometimes we give them credit for. This is something that um, as I've started to focus on it more with my clients, I see I see better improvements um, in their symptoms because it just, you know, there's there's so much that we can do with prebiotics and probiotics from a supplement perspective. But um, the more we can focus on just kind of that foundation, like you said, of a really um, healthy, consistent diet and and really that consistency is important because it's then consistently providing fuel and sort of the right material to the microbiome, the better outcomes I think we see. Well, and on that note, we do know that it only takes a very short time. We used to think it took, I could get this wrong, but it's going to be good enough for this. Um, I think we used to say, you used to see microbiome changes in like 72 hours from diet, but I think it's actually more like 24 to 36 now. Um, You can shift the microbiome quite quickly. Yep, yep. I was just actually reading a, a research article recently um, that kind of showed that even in 24 hours, they, they can see pretty significant um, changes in the microbiome when they switch up significantly the, the food source. So yeah, I mean, 
basically the way I like to think about it is at every meal, you have an opportunity to either encourage a healthy microbiome or, or fuel a bad microbiome. So the choices you make consistently add up over time to either a healthy, diverse, balanced microbiome or a microbiome that's lacking in beneficial bacteria that has an overgrowth of bad bacteria, just that general kind of imbalance that we see. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a good reminder for all of us because it's easy to, um, well, we all need those reminders, right? And I personally am motivated by good science. Like I have a healthy relationship food, with food, but sometimes I just don't have a plan and I don't have things yeah. in my fridge. And so it's just good to be re-motivated by like, okay, you know, as a reminder, here's how things are awesome. Okay. So I've got some prebiotics in front of me. Um, and this one's got acacia fiber, Jerusalem artichoke fiber, and green banana flour. Talk to us about this and your opinions on, on those products. Yeah. So I think a lot of, um, you know, there's definitely companies that focus more on like the the natural prebiotics that you find in whole foods, um, which can, of course, be very beneficial. But I think they tend to at least what I've seen in practice, and and I'd be curious to hear your experience as well. um, But they tend to be a little bit tougher, I think, for people with digestive issues to tolerate well. Whereas um, there's other products on the market, for example, like we were talking about sun fiber or partially hydrolyzed guar gum before that are a little, you know, it almost sounds bad because they are a little bit more processed and a little bit more concentrated and just kind of, uh, you know, it's not a whole food by any means um, in that context. But because of that, I find that people actually tend to do better with it. And we all, I, I think we almost get better results um, from a microbiome standpoint with them as well. So with products like that, I get a little bit worried and I tend not to recommend them as much as kind of the more pure forms of prebiotics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I really only bring in a product like this if we've already tried other things and we kind of are running out of options. So I actually have been defaulting to Goss um, products, um, mm-hmm. but you know, the one that we frequently use is Bimuno. And because it's derived from milk, I have some people like it's not milk at all. But some people who have extreme dairy issues, and their rear end is going to burn when they have something like that, it just doesn't work for them. So there's a small subset of people it doesn't work for, but most people really like it because it dissolves really well. I did have someone who didn't do well with some fiber. So she wouldn't use Bimuno due to autoimmune concerns with dairy and then some fiber. I can't remember the symptoms. I can go look and then tell you what they were. Um, Because I feel like I pretty much <sighs> sometimes sometimes it feels like yeah if there could be something that goes wrong I feel like I have a few of those <laughs> uh, and so it happens uh, yeah it happens it's totally I mean and the goal is is that those things correct but when things are broken sometimes they it just doesn't work for a while um Totally. Anyway, I don't know I was where I was going with that, but I tend to use it if I need something else. So like if we just run out of options sometimes. But I like that. Yeah. It's nice to have um, points of reference. Like I, I love the 40 types of plant foods over the week. I've been trying to I've been trying to determine how I want to say that, like get like at least these different types of prebiotics. But, you know, I was just at this microbiome conference and there was a PhD RD there from Cleveland Clinic and she's doing symbiotics, which is probiotics and prebiotics. And this is a good segue to talk about some other symbiotics on my desk. Um, But anyway, they were looking at symbiotic trials and using prebiotics, probiotics at the same time and seeing these really impressive outcomes with like liver disease and all types of things. And Mm -hmm. they were using potato fiber. Um, So it's just kind of interesting the things being used. And I'm really curious to continue to see where we're sourcing from and what results are we getting from those things yeah and I think it's important to remember too that kind of like probiotics where 
every strain has a different effect and kind of a different outcome. Um, so you need to choose probiotics based on the outcome you're looking for. Prebiotics are kind of similar, like certain prebiotics will um, fuel different types of good bacteria, maybe a little bit better than another. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different than probiotics just because it's not, you don't need to be quite as specific, but let's say like, you know, someone has really low bifidobacteria, for example, like Bimuno might be the best choice for them because it's, it's, it's highly bifidogenic. Um, whereas sun fiber, you, you kind of need more of it to kind of get that effect. Um, so I think it's important to remember that with prebiotics and I'm sure we're going to learn more as more research comes out. And also that, you know, if you're someone who wants to kind of have the healthiest gut microbiome as you can, it's not a bad idea to to rotate your prebiotics or incorporate more than one. Like it's not the kind of thing where you it's a one and done um, as much as I would like it to be. Um, so I think incorporating different kinds and, of course, getting stuff through your diet. Um, it's you just want to be well rounded about it because that's going to give you the most well rounded microbiome. Right. I agree. Definitely don't stick to one food um, for your probiotics. Otherwise, you're just going to feed that. That particular bacteria, as you just said. Right. So, so I've got a, pre, a symbiotic on my desk from Kelsey Kinney here, and it is a prebiotic Ooh. and probiotic matcha tea. Tell us about this, why it has, why it's matcha, why it's sun fiber, why it's bacillus coagulans, which is essentially the, these are, these are the only ingredients in this product. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I hate taking pills. So that was honestly kind of the, the impetus for creating this in the first place. Um, I wanted supporting your gut microbiome to be an easy experience, something that I actually enjoyed incorporating. And at the time I was consuming matcha, I wasn't doing super great with coffee at that at that point in time. So I was like really getting into matcha um, because not only did I tolerate matcha much better than I did coffee at that point, um, but I was also really into the idea of matcha because of its polyphenol content. You know, think about matcha, this bright green powder, like that's, that's to me, you know, when you're trying to think about incorporating more color into your diet, that's like a great way to, to do it. Um, so I loved it from that perspective as well. And so what I was doing was just adding um, probiotic like powdered probiotics and then prebiotics, which I was always buying in powdered format anyway, adding them to my um, matcha. And I was like, huh, this actually works super great. Um, and the, adding the prebiotic um, helped it to even like mix in with the water better. Um, I don't know, you know, if anybody drinks matcha out there, you know that like whisking it or blending it, it's a it's a pain. Um, so having the, the prebiotic in the product actually helped to make it super easily mixable as well. So it ended up making the process easier. I was getting extra health benefits from it um, by incorporating the prebiotics and probiotics. And I was getting the polyphenols that I wanted to from the matcha. And I just thought that it was, uh, you know, such an easy way to um, support gut health that I wanted to bring it out into the world for other people to buy and use in their life as well. And when doing that, I wanted to make sure, of course, uh, with my background and knowing all about this stuff and, and being really into the research that I was using 
a prebiotic that was heavily researched, um, heavily, you know, uh, evidence-based and clinically studied that actually I was seeing a lot of benefits with in my own practice with my clients, and then also a probiotic that had a lot of research behind it as well. So I ended up choosing Sunfiber. We've been talking about that quite a bit um, for, for the prebiotic because, like I was saying before, that is often, and again, I work mostly in digestive health, so people with like IBS type of symptoms, reflux, um, that kind of thing. Um, so I wanted something that I could give to the majority of my clients and they would be able to tolerate it really well. So I chose Sunfiber for the prebiotic for that reason. Um, and of course, it's got a ton of great research behind it, um, specifically in the areas of regularity. So, um, you know, if you've got someone either with diarrhea or constipation, it's kind of unique in that way that it can, it can help on both ends of the spectrum, um, really does a lot to help regulate bowel movements. Um, and then also, there's some really interesting research about prebiotics in general, um, and their role potentially in um, the in kind of getting the brain to work better. So in conditions like anxiety uh, or depression. So while there's no, I don't think there's any research on Sunfiber at this point uh, in that regard, I'm really interested to see where that goes. Um, so I chose a prebiotic that I knew a lot of people would be able to tolerate. Um, I didn't want people when they first try a product like this, especially if they, they haven't done any prebiotics before to immediately not tolerate it and just throw it in the trash. You know, I want to make it something that most people would do okay with. Um, and then I chose the, the Ganadin BC30, that's the bacillus coagulans strain um, that's in the product because it has a lot of research behind it, um, specifically in the areas of digestive and immune health, um, which I know, you know, for many people, myself included, that's like really what I wanted to want to focus on in something I'm consuming every day. Um, and it is heat stable. So it meant that you could have your matcha hot or cold. Um, so that's really, that's pretty unique. And there's not a lot of well-researched uh, probiotic strains out there that you can say that for. Um, so because of those reasons, I chose that probiotic strain. And then I did a lot of digging into the matcha itself to find the cleanest matcha that I could find and the best tasting because unfortunately, there's a lot of um, a lot of matcha on the market that just doesn't taste very good. Um, so I wanted to make sure that, you know, we were using something organic that was tested for heavy metals and, um, uh, you know, things like that. So making sure that it was really clean, really great for people um, and tasted awesome. And that's it. Those, those are the only three ingredients. I wanted it to be really simple. Um, and uh, I have been loving it. And I've been hearing from a lot of our customers that it's making their life easier in terms of supporting their gut health in a, a way that fits easily into their routine. So I'm excited to see where that goes. But um, yeah, it's been a really good experience so far. Yeah, it's really fun. Then, you know, there's something about you don't see this very often on labels. You're telling us the source of where you got this from, which I know is really big to you. And I feel like now that I know where you kind of like really got into prebiotics, I feel like this is a discussion you have when you sort of know the where how things are manufactured. Because um, I've got yes. a bit of a history with uh, food product development and food companies and whatnot. And you just know about like where things come from when you're in the back end. I feel like maybe that's where that life, where that, where that passion came from. Cause once you know where things come from, you're like, Oh, that's not as good as the other thing with the same name. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of like, uh, especially with probiotics these days, a lot of the products on the market, um, you know, they don't tell you what strain they're incorporating because they don't want someone like someone could take my 
product right here and literally copy it very, very easily. But it was important to me to tell my customers exactly what is in, in my product and exactly how much so that they know what they're consuming. That was just like one of the things I knew going into this that I wanted to do. And yes, it opens me up to copycats and things like that. But I just felt really, really strongly about that um, because I don't see it in other companies on the market. And it just it it makes this whole world of microbiome health and probiotics and prebiotics. It just makes it so confusing for consumers to choose products that they know are actually going to be helpful. It is very good matcha. Thank you so much for sending me some. Um, I can't wait to see it. I know like there's pros and cons to this, but I love having individual packets for travel for, you know, lots of reasons. So I look forward to like where this comes, you know, where this, where this goes. And I am well aware of the caveats to being in cocoa, but I'd love it in cocoa too. Wouldn't that be fun? So anyway, that's that's my next, uh, my next flavor hopefully is actually going to be a cocoa. So it's coming. (laughs) Good. I'm very excited about that. So, um, Kelsey, where can people find you? Sure. So you can you can find me on Instagram at it's Kelsey Kinney um, and also at Gut Power Drinks if you're interested in the matcha side of things um, and on Facebook by the same names as well. And then you can visit my website at KelseyKinney.com or for uh, Gut Power Drinks, you can go to GutPowerDrinks.com. Cool. And also I wanted to, in case anybody is interested in trying the matcha, you guys can get 15% off with code HELLO um, if you put that in at checkout if you'd like to try that. Cool. We'll make sure that that hits the show notes, the code HELLO for 15% off at Gut Power Drinks. Thank you for that. Um, of course. It was such a pleasure to chat about this. And, you know, when we kind of like the same stuff, I feel like we could talk about it all day. So give us a reason to have another conversation. Um, Either open up your voice memo app on your phone and record a a question for Kelsey and send it over to hello at lessstresslife.com or go to lessstresslife.com or lessstressnutrition and click on the widget on the side that says, what's it say? Speak pipe. And you can record your question right there directly. Um, And then make sure you hit pause so it actually sends. Um, We'd love to have Kelsey back and answer Q and A's if, uh, if we get enough questions. Thanks so much, Kelsey. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Krista. One of the best gifts you could give us at the less stress life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review in the iTunes store or from your podcast app. Just search for less stress life. As if you're not already subscribed, click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews and write a review while you're there. Hey, make sure you hit subscribe for Android or Stitcher users. You gotta go to the desktop site and search for less stress life and then scroll down to leave a review stitcher doesn't load apple reviews on their site so if you want you can leave a review in both places your feedback means a lot to the success of the show thanks so much for taking the time to do that you rock